Hello, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I am very happy to be joined by Susan Larson, host of The Reading Life on WWNO, New Orleans' NPR affiliate, and the author of The Book Lover's Guide to New Orleans. How's it going today, Susan? Oh, it's great. Thanks, David. Thanks so much. Oh, I, I appreciate you being here. To kind of start us off, I, I would love to talk about The Reading Life itself and uh, how it came to be. You told me a really great story once about how it was kind of haphazard. <laughs> it was. <laughs> well, it's eight years old this year, which is hard for me to believe because it's flown by. I mean, it's testament to the fact that time flies when you're having fun. But it really kind of started after I left the Times-Picayune. I was casting about to, for what to do next, and a friend of mine thought said, you should be on the radio, which seemed very far-fetched to me. But nevertheless, I had jury duty, with the Director of Development at WWNO, Ron Biava, and Janet Wilson, who later became our membership director. She's moved on to do other wonderful things now. And we had jury duty for like two weeks together. So we started off every morning and we sort of plotted the reading life. <laughs> and by, by the end of jury duty, we were all like folding fundraising letters and stuffing them into envelopes for WWNO. But it was just fun. And I tried out and I did some sample pieces. I, I did a piece about an opera at Maidwood Plantation and just to see how it went yeah. and if I could do it. And then we just jumped in on November 23rd, 2010. So eight years since then, right? Yeah. And what did you kind of like envision the show being at first? And like, how has that changed for you? I don't know. It hasn't changed very much. Yeah. It's been very hard to narrow it down to what it is because it's it's one of the great things about the New Orleans literary scene, I think, is that it's so diverse and it's the writers here are so prolific. The fact that we can do almost 100 books a year, 100 authors a year on The Reading Life or our book people, because we do other things. We do people behind the festivals. We've had some book artists, which has been very exciting for me because I love um, I love what they're doing at um, Baskerville and Paper Machine, you know, and people often don't think about the art that goes into books as well. So it's expanded slightly, you know, as things have come along in the literary community here. But I've had a lot to learn in the first few years. We're mostly learning how to talk about books in this way. Because I was used to having long conversations with authors mm -hmm. and then writing about them. And then to have like 15 to 22 minutes, it's not a lot. It's not. And you can only cover so, so much. It's a problem that I always have being oh, sure. like. Because I, I love the interviews the most where I leave off having 12 questions that I didn't get to, right? Because yeah. everything else was just there. Um, how do you kind of navigate that? How do you choose your questions and kind of both before and navigate in the interview? Well, it all depends because sometimes I get really sidetracked and forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that's like because oh, it's much. fun. It's just fun. So it's, you know, it's always uh, important for me to place the writer as a New Orleanian or if they're coming through to place them somehow for, for listeners and then to talk about the high points of their book. Because when I read a book, I, I think I told you this, I'm not sure, but when I read a book, I read it and post it, all the things I think are important or the mm -hmm. things that I really like. And then when I'm through, if I don't have to read the book again, which sometimes I do, I read the post-its. And then I see what emerges from those notes 
over that reading. And that's how I formulate the questions because those are things that appealed to me or provoked me or or just got my attention, made me sit up a little straighter. So that, that's how I construct the questions for the most part. Interesting. And, you know, one of the things I think we both try and do is create those moments in the interview of, like, really good connection. Um, how do you go about curating that yourself? Because I know it's sometimes it's very ephemeral, and sometimes you just kind of have to grab it if you see it. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Well, what, what about you? What do you feel about that? Oh, I think it's so exciting. I mean, I'll, it's fun for me. To, to ask an author to read a particular thing. And I think that creates a connection because then they see what it was I loved about their book in particular. Yeah. And that's always helped a lot. And part of it is that usually I I don't have anyone on I if I don't love their book. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna love I'm gonna be in love with you this week and then next week I'll be in love with somebody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love that. I love that very close connection with the things that you read. Because you read a lot, right? I do. I you, do. How many how many books do you read a week, do you think? I read about a book a day. Wow. I really but it, but people think that's so weird. But remember, when it's your job, you do it differently. Yeah. You know, you do it without answering the phone or watching television or listening to music or playing with your dogs who are sitting right there next to you <laughs> most yes. of the time. Temptations. So it's just like focus, focus, focus. And um, and I think I've learned to do that over the years, you know, not to waste time. My poor kids, when they were little, would come up to me and they go, when, when can we go? And I'd go, 50 pages and hold up my hand. <laughs> and they go, okay, and back off. Very intense. <laughs> it's like, I'm in the home stretch. <laughs> you're, you're in the pocket. Don't yeah. mess with me. <laughs> um, that, that's really interesting. Does that take away from the joy of reading for you? Well, sometimes I'll read a book, and if I really love it, I never review it. Really? Or Yeah. There are a few books I've just kept that I love so much that I don't write about. Okay, interesting. Because it is the pure pleasure of it. And I want I want always to have my reading of it. And, you know, sometimes when you hear an author's voice, then you can never get that voice out of your head again. And it could ruin, I hate to say that, but it can ruin an author's work for you. Case in point for me was Doris Lessing. I mean, mm. once I heard her voice, it was like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not on board. You know, I'm just I'm not going all the way with you now. I, mean, oh, I get that. It's um, funny. Interesting. What's what are a couple of those books that are just like in that that plateau of like you don't want to touch it where it is? There's a book by um, about writing called Everything You Need by A. L. Kennedy, mm. and I I got it when it came out in Great Britain. I, I, we were there on a vacation, and it was just. It was one of the best books I've ever read, and it was about a writer's colony and a young writer who wanted to learn how to write and a father who wanted to teach her, and it had the five rules of writing, and, and it was all about writing and language and becoming, and it was so precious to me, that book, you know, and I, and I read it in place. I read it in Great Britain when we were there, and so I've, I've occasionally quoted it, but I, I wouldn't write about it. And another one I loved too much to review was Michael Cunningham's The Hours. Wow. I gave it to somebody else to review because I just wanted to hold it in my heart the way it was. Interesting. You know what I mean? No, I, I get that. I um, I do that for books sometimes, but most of the time movies are, are TV shows, like things uh -huh. that have been deeply affecting for me. Um, which leads me to ask you, I, I know you have this great love of both reading and, and writing and writers. What's another media or, or format that you really attach yourself to? 
that you kind of go to after that? Is is it art, painting, movies, something like that? Oh, it's sort of mm, cooking. Yeah, really? Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Movies. I love movies, but, um, you know, now we all watch them at home, which mm-hmm. is weird. I mean, I'm deeply attached to British detective series and, and Scandinavian noir. Mm. I love to watch that on television. I love the icy landscape. <laughs> I mean... Just deadly silence deadly going silence in. Deadly silence yes. and Swedish and then subtitles. That's, That's perfect. <laughs> That's my favorite relaxation, actually. What about, are you a baker? Are you a regular cook? Or? I'm not so much a baker. I'm a big pot cooker. Ah. I like chili and soup and stew and things that cook a long time and make your house smell good. <laughs> I love that as well. You know? Um, I know you're not originally from New Orleans. What was your first time cooking a gumbo like? Well, that was so interesting because when we moved here... I had um, La, I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, La Meilleure de la Louisiane. It's that Jude Terrio cookbook. Okay, I'm not judging you. My French is terrible. So. That's okay. <laughs> it's um, the best of Louisiana. And Jude Terrio is the school superintendent who wrote this cookbook. And so every Saturday night, I would work through a recipe in his cookbook while I listened to Prairie Home Companion. So that was how I taught myself to cook New wow. Orleans food. I started with... They had the recipe for Commander's red beans and Corinne Dunbar's jambalaya. And I mean, they were all attached to stories, Mm -hmm. little stories of the recipes. And so for the first couple of years I was here, that's what I did every Saturday night, which says, you know, what a terrible social life I have. But nevertheless. (laughs) I love it. Um, (laughs) Would you consider yourself an introvert? Yeah. I think so. I'd ra- I hate to leave my house, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I feel very happy surrounded by books. That's, I have them in my car. <laughs> I have them everywhere. Yeah. You know? I think that, that's great. Uh, I, I'm an introvert as well, but I, I find myself having to, in this job as well as in this, this capacity, interact with people a lot. And um, here we are. Here we are talking, <laughs> like, you know, this is like, oh God. Um, but how do you kind of, navigate that with like kind of energy levels and like having enough for yourself when do you know enough is enough for you i don't know yeah i don't know i guess when i quit talking <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yes it's like oh I, i'm out I'm, i have nothing i have nothing for this <laughs> no i think that's great um with writing about new orleans with with interviewing authors and being such a supporter of this the scene for a long time um how have you noticed things changing, uh, specifically since you released the last edition of your book, The Book Lover's Guide to New Orleans? What would you include in the new edition if you were to do one? Oh, I'd include all these new small publishers and all the so many new festivals, too, which is very exciting. Sad for the loss of, of indie bookstores, especially Maple Street. Maple Street expanded and contracted during the course of my life here, which was such a sad... A wonderful and sad thing to watch, the attachment we all had to Maple Street, and still still many people do. But it, it's the fact that it's continually renewing itself, this literary scene here. People are always moving here, discovering the city. People are growing up, you know, and maturing who have New Orleans stories to tell because they are natives, yeah. which is so interesting. And I'm still secretly waiting well, not anymore, but <laughs> but it's always been my great thought that the Katrina kids will come along with really great fiction and poetry, and I think we're we're going to see that. I, I see little inklings of it every now and then, because you know they say a writer gets everything they need to write in childhood, yeah, and think of how that affected 
those kids, that entire generation. So I'm still, I'm thinking Katrina's not over yet. Yeah, I, so. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, speaking of, of Maple Street Bookstore, it's one of my, my favorites, and I very dearly miss it. Uh, I went to both the original final reading yeah. as well as the one that happened after that. But um, what are what are some favorite memories you have from that place? Oh, I, it was the first place I went when I came to New Orleans. I had a terrific anxiety attack. Really? And I thought, I don't know if I want to live here. What am I going to do here? And a friend of mine, I called a friend of mine who was the editor of New Orleans Magazine. He said, well, you just need to go to a bookstore. And he and his wife came over and took me to lunch at Gotro's and took me to Maple Street. And it was like, oh, okay. And so I bought a bunch of books. <laughs> I bought a um, signed copy of Sheila Bosworth's book and... Valerie Martin's book and Chris Wills's books. And I would go on to meet all of them, which was, it was like such a good omen, even though I didn't know it at the time. And then I was leaving and Rhoda chased me down the street because she got my name off the charge slip. And she said, Miss Larson, if you want to come back, you can meet Sheila Bosworth. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this is like a town where writers just pop up when yeah. you want them. You know what I mean? And so that was like, then I knew I would be okay. Maple Street Bookshop was like the sign that I would be okay. And then, of course, I also remember being a Halloween witch there and taking my kids to the Halloween party. The Harry Potter parties <laughs> were spectacular. And I also remember doing a book signing there with my friend Chris Wiltz, where it was like a huge block-long line for Chris's book, The Last Madam, and no one for the book lover's guide, which is like a lesson in humility, but that's what happens sometimes, you know? Yeah. You just take your lumps. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> um, being a book reviewer for such a long time, from 1988 to 2009, I believe, yeah. the Times-Picayune? Yeah, I'm um, old. <laughs> just... No, you are, you are storied and in history. No, I'm old. <laughs> I'm old but well-read. Hey, uh, okay. <laughs> how was it initially reviewing books and what was kind of the criteria you developed for first of all figuring out what books you wanted to review mm -hmm. and then you're you're a really generous reviewer the 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 things you still write for the advocate i really enjoy kind of going through um and and catching these moments and and how you kind of display the author as well as the book itself um how did you kind of hone that style well before i came to new orleans i reviewed books for the houston post um, and I kind of specialized in feminist books there because I was a feminist bookseller. So that was my area of expertise. And then um, when I moved here the first few years, the Post would send me New Orleans books to review because I was here. Yeah. And so that was kind of an, an open door for me. And when I took over at the Times-Picayune, because the previous book editor had died, Mabel Simmons, who was legendary, just legendary, in both good and bad ways. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, I was always afraid they'd kind of given me her desk and I would die there one day. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but I looked at what she had done and I looked at what I wanted to do. And, and I always wanted a mix. I wanted a mix of local and national fiction and nonfiction. I found columnists for mysteries, columnists for children's books. I tried not to write about anything I didn't know something about. It's, I mean, it was always interesting to me that people would say newspaper book reviews are the way to start off as a writer. I don't think that's true. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think if you're going to do justice to an author, you have to assign them a reviewer who is not starting out. You know, if someone's published five or six books, a rank beginner, I don't think so. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a measure of respect yeah. for that. And um, we published... 
all kinds of reviews. And all another part of the mix was positive and negative, mm. too. But my always my first my first ring was New Orleans. My second ring after that would be Southern Books, and then my third ring would be Northern Books, because I thought New New Orleanians really are always in conversations with the city and themselves, and that's what they want to see. Plus, we had so many writers here. We do. Fabulous writers. Mm-hmm. We're so lucky. Um, how did you deal with the negative reviews? You kind of have more of a choice now to where you don't have to... You're writing about books that you love for the most part because it's cycling through the reading life, but what did you do about negative reviews? They are what they are. Yeah. You know, somebody's written a bad book, they've written a bad book. And I know there are some people who will never forgive me, but oh. that's, you know... That's the way it goes. And and sometimes, you know, I've written a negative review of a writer I've followed for years mm-hmm. and they got over it because they knew I would be reading their books always, you know, and thinking about them. And not all those books would get negative reviews. If you never give somebody a negative review, you might as well be a publicist. Yeah, exactly. You know, but interviewing people is different. Mm-hmm. You know, when you choose to interview somebody, I think you have to have a spark with the book first mm-hmm. if you don't know the person. Yeah. That's what I think. No, I agree. And it, uh, something that's flawed or even deeply flawed can be worth talking about and addressing. It's not, you have to, don't have to do a hit piece. And I don't think either, no, either of us want to do no. that, you know? And somebody said to me once, it was really wonderful. Um, Chris Waddington said this. He said, I think it's, I think negative reviews are okay as long as you show that you've properly understood the work. Mm-hmm. And so you can err on that side of well, I got what you were trying to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's rare. It's rare. And there's so many books. Why, you know. Waste space. Yeah, exactly. Use it to support somebody that is not getting noticed, right? Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. How do you go about choosing people for your show? Oh, it all depends on if they're coming, if they have an event. Um, first, if I like the book, yeah. mostly. And and how it fits into that same mix of, you know, fiction, nonfiction, New Orleans and not people passing through and the festival timetable, the calendar of autographings. So I try to I try to give people who listen to the reading life something they could say to an author if they went to meet them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that they're not going in blind. They know what the book is like and they know they have a sense of whether they would like this person. And they're all pretty likable I when think you get so. right down to well, pretty it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> you know? There have been books that I will read the title and be like, oh, I don't think I'll ever get to that and then have arranged an interview with them for the sole focus of like, oh, you're going to like force yourself to read this book or at least like, engage with this author in some way, right? And you're like, yeah. no, I definitely want to read the book because I talked to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that humanizing aspect of it. Because um, I think bookstores can be intimidating for people. Very much. And there's mm-hmm. always like the cross leg, the, the cup of wine. And like <laughs> we're going to speak at the microphone now, pay attention. And one of the, to go back to Maple Street, one of the things I loved about Maple Street, it was it always felt like a block party in some ways. Yeah. Because um, they didn't have enough room inside. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, <laughs> physical constraints, you know, as well. But you know, I find that library events don't have that same sense you know people feel like they own the libraries yeah. the libraries are their spaces so it's interesting to see the difference in those audiences sometimes i like that yeah no i agree um you've done over 100 authors this year um who were some of your favorite interviews from the past uh year oh my god <laughs> don't have to like don't give me a one but favorite, you give me a favorite few books favorite interviews <laughs> yes. let's see well okay I loved interviewing Nathaniel Rich. Mm. I loved King Zeno. And I think he's always such a good chronicler 
of New Orleans. Um, I really rejoiced in that book, The Tom Dent Reader, Reader, that Kalami Yasalam put together. Kalami has worked so hard and done so much for so many people. And, and it was just so great to have this volume in print finally. And then it was fun to see Karen Celestan and Eric Waters do that great book about second lines, I mean, social aid and pleasure clubs. That was one of the most beautiful books of the year. And I love the nasty women and mm-hmm. the anthology that Julie Kane edited. And then, oh, there's so many. There's so many. It's hard to choose. And, but there were some great first novels this year. Brian Camp's City of Lost Fortunes, a wonderful new fantastic kind of take on New Orleans. Um, I loved Iris Cohen's novel, The Little Clan, which was about literary life in New York, but had a little few touches of New Orleans because she's a native New Orleanian. And Anne Boyd Rue's book, I thought was a blast. Mm-hmm. The Little Women book, the story, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, the story of Little Women and why it still matters. Because I love books about books. And, and that was a wonderful thing to celebrate. And then I was so happy finally to meet Bernice McFadden um, for her book, her novel, because she is such a wonderful writer. And that was praise song for the butterflies. And I, I love that. And um, one of the best books I read this year personally, in terms of enlightenment and understanding, I think was K.S.A. Lehman's Heavy. Mm-hmm. And he was just passing through, but it was such a pleasure to interview him about that book. And then for pure local fun, that Pontchartrain Beach book by Brian Batt and Katie <laughs> Dams, that was just so much fun. And then I love Jason Berry's book, City of a Million Dreams. And I love Cheryl St. Germain, the who won the Louisiana Writer Award this year at the book festival. And then I love Josephine Sakabov's beautiful books from Luna Press, the ones in spot Lux Perpetua and um, Beyond Thought, because they're inspired by women writers. There are images responding to works of literature. And they're, they're a different kind of experience because you, you read them, but you just stare at them. They're beautiful, and you're staring at these photographs and thinking about the writer's words, and it's such a, a gift to put those two things together so gorgeously. No, I think those are great responses. Uh, there are some things that I missed in there that I'm super excited to dive into now. Good. Um, <laughs> you also did another project this year, the Tricentennial Reading List. Oh, God. I know. That you... was a fool's errand. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how that came about and also if going through these books has helped you narrow out your top five New Orleans picks overall. Oh, are you going to make me do that? Oh, oh yes, my right God. now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> or at least somewhere Whoa. in the top ten. No, you don't have to do a ranked order if you want. All right. Okay, good. That's better. That's better. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's been fun um, to talk with all these experts in their various fields because they have educated me over the years. I feel very lucky to have lasted as long as I have in book reviewing because I've had the benefit of this great education by scholars, you know, like Larry Powell and Richard Campanella and um, and Jason Berry did the music books with me. So I, I thought of thinking, I started off thinking I would just do 300 books. And it's like, oh man, we are way past that and we're not going to finish. Yeah. We're not going to get to every category <laughs> and we're going to have to post lists online to finish it off. But it was so much fun to think about what is the best, what is what has represented us well. Yeah. And the thing, too, about, and this will be Lanyap, so a preview of the end of it, the weird books that New Orleans has that other places don't have, mm. you know, like books like The Blue Book. Mm, you yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nobody else has that, I don't think. 
and um, just odd little funny books like New Orleans Unmasked, you know, and tribute books. We all love New Orleans so much. It's really kind of amazing yeah. that, that we spawn these books. <laughs> but it's but it's made me refine my thinking a lot about the city and and it's helped me call my library a bit. I can say that I for sure. That, yeah. But the five do you oh the five best books in New Orleans. Well I'd have to say Unfathomable City is right up there for me. It's one of the most, it's an unusual book too. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there is one for San Francisco as well, but but that's a, one of those odd, wonderful books. Um, I really did love Jason's book, City of a Million Dreams. I love that character-driven history. I love Larry Powell's Accidental City a lot. I feel very, very lucky. One of my first jobs in New Orleans was down the hall from Larry Powell. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> you know, it's like I knew him before yeah. I was at the paper, which was a lot of fun. And I still love Confederacy of Dunces. Oh, it's a classic. So much. I mean, I think that is one book that is goes right to the heart of New Orleans. And um, so where are we at? Four? Oh. One more. I know it's hard. Streetcar Named Desire. Fine, I'll take it. All right. <laughs> but it's hard. I mean, I'd add, I'd even add the moviegoer and Interview with the Vampire. And, you know, those are some of the books that have set a tone of, I think. Yeah. Um, it's interesting mentioning those weird books. And I think now uh, you mentioned before, like the rise of all these small presses, people doing really interesting yeah. things, whether it be like experimental poetry or narrative history, oral histories and hybrid formats. It's interesting to think about in the next 100, 300 years, people are going to be looking back at those things and being like, man, it was strange continually throughout that. Right. Yes, exactly. I love Kyle Bravo's graphic Little mm. graphic books. I think those are so charming and wonderful. He's somebody I mean to have on the show soon. Yeah. And I love seeing all these, you know, smaller press books coming along. I love the work Bill Lavender does. Yes. With Lavender Inc. and mm-hmm. Dialogos. Those are really amazing books. And Bill knows how to make a beautiful book. He, he, does. Really, he really, really does. does. And so, you know, it's exciting to see that coming along. That's one thing we've we've needed for a long, long time. I think so too. And it's it's really great to see it all thriving for the most part and how supportive the community is of itself in in general. Um, To switch back to the interviewing, what's a question you love to ask and what's a question you absolutely hate? (laughs) Well, you can ask. You can ask where'd you get your ideas. I remember (laughs) once, I remember once I interviewed Lawrence Ferlinghetti because remember, I am old. And he said, he said, well, don't ask me where I get my ideas or I'll hang up on you. <laughs> a little later in the conversation, I asked some question. He went, that's dangerously close to where did you get your oh, ideas? No. And I thought, okay, go back, back down, away back from that <laughs> But there's this book I really love called Vindication by Francis Sherwood. And it's a novel about um, Mary Wollstonecraft and um, Shelley. And um, she's Mary Wollstonecraft, sorry. And... Um, She's talking about writing her book, and she was one of the first women to write a book, really. And um, there's this quote. It's so perfect. It says, with the book, she would have something. What it was, she was not sure, a hope. And so my favorite question to ask an author, really, is what is your hope for this book? What do you want to make it uh, to have happen in the world as a result of people reading it? Which is kind of a dopey characteristically me question. But I, I believe that authors, you know, they work so long in isolation and then they release 
this book. There's yeah. no reason. That's the reason they call it a book release. It's out there now. And and I do think they have hopes, you know? No, I, I agree. I think that's really lovely, actually. Um, to kind of round us up, we're at our time. Sadly, this is going to be one of those interviews that I mentioned <laughs> that I have 18 other questions that we didn't get to. But Now that we started talking, we will never stop. <laughs> but we got time limits, sadly. Um, to, to kind of wrap us up, uh, 2019 is around the corner. Uh, we're going to be airing this at the end of December. And I was wondering what you're looking forward to in 2019, both reading, interview-wise, just for yourself. Oh, I'm so looking forward to Maurice Carlos Ruffin's book coming out, We Cast a Shadow. That's one of the best books I have read in so long. Something new and, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see somebody who's worked so hard and uh, done so well just be on the brink of greatness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's rare we get to see that. And um, that's going to be really, really something special, I think. That's one of the books I'm most looking forward to. I'm reading James Lee Burke's um, The New Iberia Blues right now because mm -hmm. it comes out in January. And I'm like, oh, Jim, you know, you make <laughs> me so happy. All those tales of violence on the bayou. And um, I'm also really looking forward to this book by Nancy Penrose. Um, it's, that's a biography of the sculptor Angela Gregory. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's the first, I think, full biography of Angela Gregory, who was a product of the Newcomar School and um, lived near Tulane most of her life and knew Joseph Campbell and Krishnamurti and all these people. Wow. And her life story is really, it's going to be fun to read. Okay, well, that, that's fantastic. Um, things to look forward to then. Yes, lots. Uh, well, Susan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for all the work you do. I know how hard it is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> that was Susan Larson, host of WWNO's The Reading Life, as well as the author of The Book Lover's Guide to New Orleans. A huge thank you to her once again for agreeing to come on this program, as well as inviting me to be on her program earlier this month. And that's our show. You've been listening to the Writers' Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. A special announcement before we go. Candace Huber, who is a volunteer here at the station, reading books for us, as well as hosting the Novel Ideas podcast, will become our third co-host of the Writers' Forum starting in January. We're looking forward to having her on the team. As always, you can catch our show on Thursdays at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. All of these interviews can be found on WRBH's SoundCloud page after they air, which is located at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.